to another edition of Into the Foxhole. I am your host, Will, joined as always by my brother, John. John, how are you? I'm glorious right now, Will. Glorious? Yes, yeah, glorious. And I will, what's it, glorious? I, I don't know. I, I, I will give in. I, I want to say, I will, for all like your that. Bobby Roode fans, uh, what is that? Oh, I can I can search it up. <laughs> early <I> research. <laughs> early, early, early hitting up the research department. Glorious. That's awesome, John. How are you doing? You had a couple of good days here in uh well Matt, just talking about how nice it's been outside. Yeah, it's been it's been real nice. It's, it's been, been swell. It's been swell. Today, today, yesterday, beautiful. Yesterday beautiful. Yesterday beautiful. A lot of rain, a lot of rain. No, I won't give in. I, I won't, won't give, give in. in Till I'm, I'm victorious. victorious. Okay, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Okay. Well, we are Slated for a glorious podcast, the seventh edition of Into the Foxhole. And I'm welcoming on our guest, Jack Oley. Jack, how are you? I'm just doing phenomenal right now. I'm so happy to be on this podcast. Jack has made no bones about it. He is excited to be here. You know, we've Absolutely. we've always wanted him as a guest since day one, and we're happy we could you know connect and get Facilitate. this thing together. You know, exactly. It's all about uh, for some of our younger listeners on the podcast, uh, connections run the world. Yeah. So it's never too early to start networking. And luckily, we were our people were able to talk to Jack's people, and uh, we got this going. Yeah, I'm so happy to be on the podcast today. And as I mentioned, the seventh edition of Into the Foxhole. What a fitting episode to go over our topic today. Jack, what are we going to be visiting on the podcast? Uh, Famed HBO tennis documentary, Seven Days in Hell. Seven Days in Hell. This is one of the few movie, for TV movie releases that I remember anticipating. I remember, I believe, taking me back to a summer's day in 2015, just graduated high school. You know, we were out in Maine, and I remember the anticipation building this summer for Seven Days in Hell to come out, watching it, and immediately, I thought it was funny, but it wasn't until the second or third time I watched it that I truly started to appreciate it. And here we go. Aaron Williams, one point away from ending this outrageous seven-day match. Please end it. Uh. The Williams-Pool match. It wasn't even a match. It was, it was something else. Was two men stuck in eternal flames. Every tennis fan had been dying for these two to play. What happened was nothing short of a miracle. His 67th match point. Spectacular! Seven days of play really taking its toll on everyone. Unbelievable. What? It was seven days in hell. Why are you looking at the lens? Because I think that would make a good title. Seven days in hell. rewatchable comedy I've ever seen uh, personally. There's a lot of good ones, but Seven Days in Hell, you can just keep watching over and over. And you're going you're gonna to see something new every time you see it, which uh, I think is very special, especially for a made-for-TV sort of comedy. Yeah, and I think I think we'll sort of see that as we go through this this mockumentary because I think there'll be times where one of us will point something out that we've forgotten and it'll just be easily brought up and be like, oh, 
I forgot about that, but like you said, you bring it and it's just like, wow. Which I feel like is a great kind of Sandler, or sorry, not Sandler. This isn't, this isn't, that's my boy. That's my boy. (laughs) Another Sandberg classic. (laughs) The famous film. The The famous film. Again, that'll be on episode 159 when we bring Andrew back on to go over that's my boy. But this is kind of like a Sandberg style where he chocks in so many things that, you know, it, it almost is on the edge of being too saturated with things that never get like conclusions but there's just so many tiny nuggets that it's like i think it straddles that line so incredibly well yeah i'd agree absolutely yeah so like and obviously we'll go like you said john so many nuggets will go into jack you want to take us over kind of some of the plot points yeah so uh the gist of it is it's basically it's almost like a 30 for 30 style mockumentary comedy about uh this wimbledon match which uh it seems real but it completely False. Um, Aaron Williams and Charles Poole, the two main characters. Aaron Williams, obviously played by Andy Samberg. Charles Poole, played by Kit Harrington, aka Jon Snow. Uh, two tennis players in a seven-day tennis match in Wimbledon. Um, both of them from completely different backgrounds. Which, well, I guess we can just touch on that later. I don't. I could go on for hours. <laughs> um, so they, uh, Aaron, kind of comes into this game, the underdog. Charles, the Absolutely, I, they mentioned it in the film. Just such such a favorite, and uh, they end up playing for seven days, and um, with all sorts of shenanigans in in between days one and seven. And uh, but on the seventh day, uh, they uh, end up in the middle of the match, uh, actually killing each other. <laughs> big spoiler alert! But uh, if, you, if you haven't seen it, uh, they won't ruin it for you. Yeah, I mean, you see it coming the whole time. <laughs> it's, it's, it's destined to happen. <laughs> yeah, and uh, there's it's just also such a star-studded cast. Oh, phenomenal! You look at it; it's voiced by John Hamm to begin with. And I mean, the fact that Serena Williams is so far down on the list of all these characters. <laughs> Yeah, Serena Williams quietly with an amazing cameo. She's just like quietly thrown in there. That's a good point. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, she's. I mean, as they say, you know, it's she's such a part of. She's a part of one of the biggest plot points, which comes out of the very beginning of it, the reverse blind side. <laughs> it's kind of like a reverse blind side. As someone who has seen, saw the blind side in theaters and loved it. Um, I love this reference, but yeah, no, the, the Serena part is definitely, you're just kind of settling in. Jackie talked about star study cast, but you don't know that you're kind of settling in, you know, kind of what to expect. You see Kit Harrington, you see Andy Samberg. And then within five minutes of the movie, they bring in, so they've dropped the bomb that he is Aaron Williams <laughs> is the brother of the Williams sisters. Yeah. It's just, uh, the whole thing is genius, honestly, in my opinion. Oh yeah, I, yeah, and I and I and I gotta say, you know, with the whole like predicting that they're gonna die in the end, you gotta look at it as your classic documentary. Where if you haven't seen the person like giving your little cameo, you know, behind the camera thing, you gotta just assume they're dead. Yeah, know? if they're not giving an interview in yeah. the doc style, yeah, they're exactly. dead. They're dead. They have to be. The worst case scenario is you see someone giving a documentary style interview in the documentary, but it's clearly like ten years older than everything else, and then you're like, oh no, yeah. I know where this is going. <laughs> Or like it's the classic. I mean, I don't know if you, you ever watched the show. Like, I barely made it out alive, or whatever. Stuff oh like yes. That, where like sometimes like you're on the edge of the sea, where if they bring out the person who you think is gonna die at the very end, you're like, wow, like electric. Like where'd they come from? Like, <laughs> like they, they keep away the entire film. But wow. They know how to hold. They know how to rest. Yeah, rest exactly. That. 
in classic documentary format, you know. Uh, I don't know if you guys have seen uh, McEnroe Borg, uh, Fire and Ice before. I've seen parts of it, but I haven't watched the whole 30. It was one of the earliest 30 for 30s, I believe, right? Or was it a... Uh, oh, it's one an like, HBO Sports. It's an actually, HBO Sports. makes it even more relevant in the context of 70s hell. Uh, which I think around the 15th to 15 to 20th time I watched it, I was scrolling through HBO Sports trying to find Seven Days in Hell. And I decided, <laughs> hey, I'll just throw on Fire and Ice. It's a tennis documentary. Because it's in the and same spot. <laughs> and the, the characters are actually so loosely based on John McEnroe and, uh, what is it, Eric Borg, I think his name was. Um, is it Bjork Bjorg? Bjorn Bjorg? Oh, yeah, Bjorn Borg. Bjorn Borg. <laughs> Bjorn Borg. <laughs> Can the name get any more Swedish? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's John McEnroe versus Baby Bjorn. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, they all thought you know, they got John McEnroe in here, which yeah, I guess you could say Aaron Williams is loosely based on John McEnroe. That's interesting. You know? I was going to talk about, you're right, talking about the context of this kind of mockumentary coming out, how it is kind of very topical. You mentioned uh, Fire and Ice, uh, uh, Borg versus McEnroe. You think about this is kind of some of the peak, this is kind of, you call it the peak of like the 30 for 30 era where it's been around for probably at least 10 15 it's been probably at this point been around for 10 years and it's really gained steam you talk about 2010 the isner versus mahout match uh in wimbledon which actually lasted for three days which is probably where sandberg at least in part got the idea it's kind of this mix of forces that was what makes uh this documentary so kind of relevant and obviously you throw in this is also jack height of you would say you would call this is one of the heights of game of thrones this is when it really started to hit mainstream attention correct yeah that this is what everyone everyone still loved game of thrones at this point i mean anyone who's seen the whole series um i'm sorry for people who are currently watching this who are listening in because the last season is just frankly it's horrible it's pretty across the board you know and this is when kit harrington was just the bee's knees everyone loved the guy some would say, if you were Mugatu, you would say he is so hot right now. Yeah, I mean, he's so hot right now. I mean, like, I mean, what what is this? Like season four, season five, like oof. Game of Thrones. Like oof. you're catching like Kit. Like he's just going right now as Jon Snow. He's he's on just an upward track. Like he he is he's getting there to be like, oh, this guy's top guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and yeah, it's really when you know you realize that oh wow, Kit Harrington's actually like one of the main characters of this show. Yeah, exactly. And. And you see him put in this role as such an absurd character in Charles Lloyd Poole. <laughs> it's really just, uh, it's just so different than, um, so different than his, the role he plays in Game of Thrones. Quote from one of the, uh, I forget who the British actress was or model who they're interviewing, but quote from here, he is the thickest man I ever met. <laughs> oh, his his supermodel, gr- supermodel girlfriend throughout like, the entire thing. Yeah, she's <laughs> hilarious. Charles was so thick and Aaron was so bad at getting an erection. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's the one, it's the one plot point which is uh, hilarious, just like his mother didn't send him to actual school. She just tr- sent him to <laughs> occupational school where he learned to drive a big rig. <laughs> which is... <laughs> which is also so funny because you know the the twist in the end with um um (laughs) we can only assume charles hitting aaron williams with the truck like the own little like tanya harding and nancy (laughs) kerrigan kind of twist thrown in there yeah exactly (laughs) except like 10 times as absurd (laughs) yeah i think uh it's uh 
Yeah, who was it? Uh, John McEnroe, I think. He was the one saying, um, and we're jumping around too much. We'll, we'll get, we'll touch on this one later. <laughs> exactly. There's a, you know, Jack, this is a podcast. We like to think of our podcast as being like, we think of our podcast as several things. One, John, ethical. Yes. Uh, two, fluid. Fluid. Very and three, fluid. it's gotta be zany. Wubble over dum dum. We made that. That was our thing. That was our thing. Um, No, so we can kind of jump around. But I was kind of thinking, Jack, do you remember watching, I guess for the first couple of times, do you remember watching Seven Days in Hell for the first couple of times? Like, take us back to kind of, like you said, this was when we graduated high school. Very seminal moment that summer. Yep, go on. I remember that that summer just doing absolutely nothing. Oh, yeah. and you know, I was just living life in excess. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Hold up. Let's up. let's let's not sell yourself short. Running Gigi's cupcakes. Oh no, no, no! I was actually I didn't work there until uh, winter of twenty fifteen slash twenty sixteen. Oh no! What were you? Yeah, okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah, yeah. No, I just I just was like, you know what? I don't need a job yet. <laughs> but you know, uh, yeah, just. You know, what, making my schedule work around when everyone else wasn't working. <laughs> <laughs> the, that is such like that is such like a summer thing where it's just like there's one friend who is either like you know doesn't have a job or has a job that has much looser hours than everyone else, and he's constantly texting like, "Hey guys, like what's going on?" <laughs> I, I can totally remember that. Just be like, "Oh, when does everyone get off work?" And Krebs like, "Yeah, I'm working from 8 p.m. to 1 a.m." We're like, "What?" And like, "Yeah, there's a wedding at Indian Hill." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it's cool because I'm going to be drinking with all the guys that are working there. It'll be fun. <laughs> yeah, we're at 10 p.m. Like they loosen up. Yeah. So yeah, so this is so you, you so this this summer definitely a lot of free time. Like I said, going back and remembering first encountering this monumental work. Yeah, and I remember seeing uh, just basically seeing Andy Samberg and Kit Harrington together. I was like, okay, you know what? It's a comedy with those two. So it'll be good. Then it's like it's a fake sports documentary, which is like pretty hard to come by, honestly. It's a very little done thing. I mean, Documentary Now kind of did that, but when did Documentary Now start? A documentary Now didn't start until after. Well, I believe this is like around the same time. Research department is furiously working on it, but I don't think no, they. No. I don't think they. Yeah. The first, yeah. Documentary, documentary Now started first episode August twentieth, twenty fifteen. So oh, wow! About a month after. Yeah, seven a days month in uh, nine days, I believe. Yeah. Yep, that's that's good math. That's, that's good, good math. math. <laughs> oh, research department on the math, yeah, and math. we're there. Yeah, but like you're right, a documentary now hadn't really done it. Um, this whole kind of it was we, we can kind of talk about how this was kind of like a bit of a gamble, like for HBO in the sense that like this is kind of a very much a one off thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, Which they ended up after the just rampant success of Seven Days in Hell. They did follow it up with Tour de Pharmacy, but Tour de Pharmacy, honestly, I don't think really even comes close to Seven Days in Hell. Well, it's still good, but um, I'm trying to compare it. Maybe uh, it's like comparing episode one of Star Wars to like episode five. Well, if episode one was good, we don't need to get down to the Star Wars rabbit hole. But I think you're right, Jack. I think that like we saw toward a, we uh, we because I remember there was like a slow realization kind of. I, we didn't really talk about it in our friend group. But I feel like at some point, someone, like, it was either you or Tom, someone texted, like, yo, has anyone else seen Seven Days in Hell? And then immediately five people are like, oh, my God, this is hilarious. So I feel like our anticipation of 
um, our anticipation of Tour de Pharmacy was very high, especially me being a huge wrestling fan and knowing that John Cena was going to be in it. I was yeah. like, okay, you have me there. Um, it definitely didn't hit those expectations, but I wouldn't call it bad by any stretch of the imagination. No, it, it's just, it, it's really hard to follow up something like Devin is now. But um, it, it was still good, though. Uh, I think Charles Gambino was in it, too, maybe. I don't know. No, Charles just. No, because someone else played someone else played the uh, black uh, the black um, the black biker, who wasn't his thing that he was oh. re- he was like related to Jackie Robinson or something. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he wanted to be like the first. Uh, he wanted to be like the first black like black like Jackie Robinson was like the first black uh, baseball player or yeah. professional baseball player. So he'd be the first black uh, first black tour de, tour de France winner. <laughs> yeah, yeah and that, that was the idea. It's interesting. It's interesting because you guys talk about Tour de Pharmacy. I completely for I I don't think I've ever seen Tour de Pharmacy. Really? Like I I really I didn't even know it was a thing. I just searched it up. Like this is this is new for me. This, this is this new is new revelations on the podcast. I feel like I feel like for Seven Days in Hell, like everybody remembers watching all those commercials for that. All like it had. I feel like it was really big around. Uh, there were a lot of Tour de Pharmacy commercials. Back me up here, Jack. Yeah, and um, there were. They definitely were, but I mean, I remember once I saw there was another something like this, like something like Seven Days in Hell, I remember seeing, oh, they're making another like fake sports documentary that's going to be absurd. Like, I was so locked in. All I needed was 10 seconds of an advertisement, and I was there. Hooked. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah but they definitely, it's definitely, you know, HBO's really good at marketing their other things to their subscribers. Because mm-hmm. you turn on something, they're going to be advertising the Righteous Gemstones mm-hmm. or... That one thing about McDonald's that's on right now. Oh, the Ray Kroc one. Yeah. Oh no 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 the 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 Monopoly one. Yeah. Oh yeah, Which, that's crazy. Also, I'd recommend it's pretty it's pretty good. I haven't finished it, uh, but it's pretty good. Dude, that shit. I, I liked it. That shit looks crazy. That lo- shit looks crazy in like an actually interesting way, and not just in like an ephemeral holy shit way, like Tiger King is. Yeah. <clears throat> I was about to say yeah, it's not the Tiger. Uh, we, we don't need to get into Tiger King, but everything that happens, it's. One after the other. You don't even have to be paying attention. Yeah, but there's just, just there's just no subtlety. It's just like they literally like it's like seven, eight like hour long episodes of just getting like slapped wham, back and wham, forth. Wham. <laughs> it's like if you seen the... how do you make something like that subtle? <laughs> what the hell? It's, it's all these polyamorous people, and then there's a murder. Like what is the hell? There are there is no sander that can smooth those rough edges of that plot. <laughs> yeah, it's absurd. Yeah, um, but I think bringing it back to the bringing it back to Seven Days in Hell, uh, I think that is like you definitely talk about like watching the ads for Seven Days in Hell, like leading up to it and seeing oh Kit Harrington, Andy Samberg, it's going to be awesome. Also seeing Will Forte delivering the classic line, it was seven days in hell into the camera. So you definitely knew there was going to be like, oh, there's going to be, this is going to be a good cast. This is going to be fun. But then when you actually get and watch the cast, it is a who's who. You mentioned a Jack Star studded and obviously very SNL <clears throat> influence, but you have Samberg, Kit Harrington, uh, Lena Dunham, you know, former girls creator and actor, Will Forte, Fred Armisen, John Hamm, like you said, as the narrator. Also a great role at, with Michael Sheen as Caspian Wint. The, uh, oh, uh, yeah. One of the most off-putting characters. <laughs> yeah, in, very uh, much. Possi- <laughs> possibly in uh, in uh, TV film history. <laughs> yeah, yeah to, to quote John McEnroe, the dude's a creep. No one likes him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> or if you want to quote uh, Fred Armisen's Edward Pudding, he could be a bit of a rapscallion. <laughs> he could be a bit of a rapscallion. But I mean, and also... Yeah, and, yeah go on, Jack. Oh, and it's just, again, with the cast, like, you got David Copperfield, like, that's completely out of left field, pun intended. <laughs> um, and then you also have, like, imagine if there was, like, a fake football documentary, and you had, like, Tom Brady, like, Michael Strahan, and, like, Tony Dungy. Yeah, and you, that's, what you, that's really what you have with Chris Everett, Jim, or not Jim Lantley, uh John McEnroe, and Serena Williams. Like, these are three of the biggest names in tennis history. And, like, like, and you mentioned Lampley, but Lampley is also just a huge HBO figurehead, so that also kind of, like, blurs the lines more. Well, yeah, it's the whole, it's the whole that they have. Dance. They have the whole HBO, like, tennis or, like, sports crew. It, it looks yeah. legit. It looks like they set it up exactly like how they would set up just a normal sports documentary for HBO. Yeah, and that's, like, part of why it, like, works so incredibly well is yeah. because they just committed so much to this, whether it's, like you said, cast production value, like making it feel like an actual real sports documentary. Yeah, and also, I just want to point out, we are missing one key uh, cameo throughout this film. is Howie Mandel as Prince <laughs> Edward, Duke of Kent. <laughs> Which is just like, I, 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 had, I, I had no clue it was Howie Mandel until I saw that this was like, it's like, oh, this was Howie Mandel. Like, I'm not going to lie. I was like, when I watched it the first time, I was like, is that Howie Mandel? And I was like, no way. It's not obvious. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's just, I, mean, I feel like they're how, at least our generation, or how I see Howie Mandel is dealer no deal. Well, obviously. Yeah, come on. Yeah, come on. <laughs> <laughs> this could be life changing. After this commercial. Yeah. <laughs> I'll take no deal. <laughs> it's just like. Push down the ladder. Push down the briefcase this person went from one million dollars to two dollars with one dumb <laughs> well there was a time in my life where my the like greatest evil character in my life was the banker like where i wanted the banker he was, dead he, he was just making good deals now i look back at him and i kind of root for the banker you root for the banker <laughs> <laughs> like I, he's making you a fair deal like, against uh, these rubes yeah like 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 what are you talking about why are you not taking this deal like <laughs> Yeah, and statistically, when you start looking at this, like, the irrationality of these people, once you learn, like, okay, the expected value of what's left on the board is so much less than what the banker's giving you, why are you not taking this? Yeah. Like, and it's just, sometimes it's infuriating. But Jack would be the one who gets a $60,000 offer after the first round and take it. <laughs> Deal. Deal. <laughs> Smash that button. $60,000? Are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah well it's also funny because we all we all watched this when we were probably like what ages like eight through 14 so yeah. like where we yeah. didn't have like a concept of money and we're just like why are you choosing the sixty thousand dollars go for like big getting the six figures at least that's what i was like i was like yeah, exactly. if it's not six figures it's not worth it having had my hands and like dealt with money for the first time in my life that sixty thousand dollars sounds pretty good <laughs> Yeah, $60,000. It's not as much as you could get, but it's still life-changing. Yeah, it does damage. It would get me out of a couple of jams. I mean, going back to the I mean, cast, though. I do want to say, though, I am not proud that I have played the Deal or No Deal Dave & Buster's game on several occasions and have lost big most of them. Well, I mean, it's Dave & Buster's. Go big or go home. Yeah, I think around a year ago, 
later than a year ago, I was actually uh, at uh, Universal Studios. Um, Orlando, Florida? A, yes, uh, for a uh, work event, actually. And um, so they opened up uh, this one small section of the park to me and all the other interns. And uh, I played the Deal or No Deal game for about an hour and a half. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god! <laughs> it was the only thing in the arcade that still spit out tickets, even though it was free play. So we were just going wild. <laughs> <laughs> you saw the opportunity, and you you took the opportunity. Classic opportunity cost there. Yeah, exactly. I mean, my heart was just pounding. Billy <laughs> Mandel asking me, "Dealer, no deal." No commercials, too. That's even better. <laughs> there's a there's a. Speak- no commercials, and I actually get something. It was great. Speaking of Will, uh, thinking of Will Forte, there, have either of you seen the Deal or No Deal SNL sketch? No, I, uh, I actually watched it a couple weeks ago. Yeah, <laughs> it's hilarious. Just because I'll, I'll set it for you, John. So it's Fred Armisen, obviously, is playing Howie. Yeah, <laughs> um, uh, it's Steve Carell is the guest host, so he is playing the guy who's like he is the contestant, yeah. and the one guy he brought for you know how they have like the three family members. <laughs> the one guy he brings is his dad, and his dad hates him. <laughs> <laughs> and his dad is played by Will Forte. <laughs> and Steve Grell's just like, uh, shut up that, shut up that. He's like, you're never going to amount to anything, son. You're just going to blow it up like you always do. <laughs> shut up, shut up. And I think the punchline is he gets like one cent. He had a chance getting a million dollars. The bottles, the bottles, right when they're about to show it, they keep pulling it back up. <laughs> it's and it's smiling and go back and forth. <laughs> It's, Honestly, it's almost infuriating, just like the real show. <laughs> just like the real show. It's a, I think it's Kristen Wiig, who like looks in the case, like smiles big, then like looks in the case and frowns. And <laughs> just can't get She's like, Cecilia, open the case. <laughs> that's, that's a fantastic Howie Mandel right there. And now we have Meghan Markle. That's what? Well, Megan, no, no Me- Megan Markle was it? She was one of the Deal or No Deal girls. She was a Deal or No Deal girl. You didn't know this? I did not know that. She was. I just saw she was in that Suits show, right? Or was it uh, White Collar? I think it was Suits. Suits, <laughs> one of those USA shows. A real <laughs> shocker that after she got married to um, well, English royalty, uh, that she she wasn't coming back. No. <laughs> on, on Suits. No. <laughs> suits fans worldwide shocked. <laughs> they were waiting with bated breath. <laughs> Absolutely livid. Yeah, and uh, again, another yeah, related to Seven Days in Hell, the English royal family plays a huge role in in uh, the in the in the film. I mean, the Queen is one of the most important characters in the whole thing. I mean, her phone messages to Charles <laughs> just. And I also love the kind of descent into madness the Queen takes with, you don't hear her first phone message, but Charles is in the hotel room alone, and it's like, oh, goodbye, man. He hangs up, and the documentary crews, who, who was that? It was the Queen. <laughs> and I think they're like, what's she saying? She wanted me to win. <laughs> Wait, and don't they, don't they, then they turn away, and they turn back, and Charles is just standing facing the corner. <laughs> Oh, that that makes sense. Yeah, that adds up. Yeah, um, with uh, Charles's uh, workout scene where he just is going on the elliptical as fast as he can. Oh, yeah. And um, I tried to nail down the name of that song because I kind of wanted to play it for comedic effect with everyone who knows the who knows Seven Days in Hell. And uh, I looked it up, and it's actually like a 
it's like a Getty Audio, like, stock. <laughs> it's just which, like, they use a bunch of, like, stock, like, music throughout the film, which I think is just hilarious. Well, the first off, we'll put that in in post. We'll put in, we'll put in the song for our listeners in <laughs> the post. Getty. The Getty song. The, the public domain <laughs> <laughs> instrumental. But the one of the funniest moments, which I always, for some reason, laugh way too hard, is the continual stock crowd shot of the guys cheering. <laughs> Yeah, there's the, there's like three guys, like guys in like a pink shirt or whatever. And they all just like cheer. stand up and cheer. And they show it like eight separate times. They show the same stock footage <laughs> that kills me every time. Yeah. Uh, but going back to it, the queen, you're right, plays a big role. Like you said, the descent into madness to first forcefully telling him you should win, next to calling him drunk after I believe day two. <laughs> um, yeah, or this, uh, what I think she calls him. Hey. Uh, Yes. Um, so I think, uh, sorry, uh, I think it was, uh, hello, child, it's the queen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're all rooting for you, you know. So, you know, just win already. And then he goes to stupid fuck slut, and I think the third one, fuck nut. And then uh, she, I think she references, uh, shoot, who is the bald guy from Star Trek? He's mentioned. Oh no, yeah, she does mention. She's Spot. like, I knighted that bald guy from Star Trek. I can knight you too. It's not, it's not Spock. It's Sir Patrick Stewart. Oh, it's Patrick Stewart. Yeah, Sir Patrick Stewart of the famed uh, Star Trek meme. Like, yeah, what are exactly. you doing? We're just falling off the shelf. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Nothing is funnier yeah, than hearing the uh, the queen go, stupid fuck slut, I've been drinking. <laughs> yeah, she, honestly, she comes off as like, they paint a very vulgar picture of the queen in the film. Like, when they, I think on the last day when they walk out and uh, the queen shows up, <laughs> yes. And, um, yes. Charles, being the Englishman that he is, bows to the queen. And then Aaron flips her off, and she flips Aaron right back off, and the crowd oh. goes absolutely wild. <laughs> oh, she double birds Aaron. Right, she right she double birds straight up. And, like, I think also a great part is when she does go to the crux, that's the first time the queen's been in a match with Aaron. It's just, like, so clearly and obviously not the queen. <laughs> like, they don't get somebody that even, like, they just can't find, like, an old lady. That has white hair. <laughs> Who has white hair. And so yeah. that also adds a little bit of a comedic effect to the queen. Which, you, it's, it really starts to get you to wonder, like, the queen acting so vulgar you know calling him drunk and berating him beating beating up charles in the elevator it makes it really makes you think is this actually the queen that has driven Meghan markle and prince william Oh, it's Prince Harry and Prince Harry out of England. You had a one in two chance and you got wrong. (laughs) I did have a one in two chance. (laughs) 50-50. Well, I mean, to be fair, there are like eight princes in that family because the queen won't die. Yeah, but there's like two (laughs) important ones outside of Charles. Yeah, but they've all got stupid English names. You have one of their names. <laughs> the big one. They're like second in line. That's why I guessed it. I'm just like Prince. What's his name? What's his name? Go with your just God. Say my Will. name. Maybe, maybe they have my name. Yeah, and you know, I think again, Seven Days in Hell is this weird thing of just being able to predict the future almost. Um, you know, David Copperfield and cocaine for one. <laughs> wait, <laughs> is that really arrest? the wait. future? Wait, what? <laughs> Nothing came of that, but I thought I just said it. <laughs> it sounds like it could be true. 
podcast listeners furiously typing and seeing did David Copperfield get arrested for cocaine? <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> That'd be pretty stupid of him. The one dude who's the Epstein ties. Um, oh yeah, yeah. You know, one of the princes. Straight away from that, we're getting into dark places. Yeah, we don't want we don't want we don't want the royalty of England coming after us. So you know. Though no. to be fair, we have never shied away from attacking people. No, on this we podcast. have not, and that is why Prince Charles, if you are out there, <laughs> John says as he sits up in his chair and straightens the mic. Prince Charles, I'm not afraid of you. <laughs> we we have pulled no punches, Jack. You will. <clears throat> You, you will hear this on a later release podcast uh, that we haven't thrown out there yet, but we, we pull no punches. I think we come at Rogan. Yes, we've come at Rogan. We came at, oh. far, we came at Father McGrath pretty Father hard. Father McGrath, uh, Jack Talaga as well. Jack Talaga, Jack we Talaga. came at incredibly A lot, a lot of hits on Talaga. Yeah. Um, can, we, can I really fault you guys for going after Talaga? <laughs> <laughs> this is episode two in a row. Two podcasts in a row, Jack. Get ready. <laughs> so uh, as You guys might have a theme. And then probably our biggest enemy of the podcast is Big Caffeine. Big Caffeine. Big Caffeine. We're very anti-Big Caffeine. Yes. Uh, John and I... Big Caffeine. Oh, wait, really? Okay, I'm going to go pour my coffee out. (laughs) Wait a second. Cut that, cut that, cut that. (laughs) We'll edit that in post. Yeah, yeah, John and I... I'm going to be honest. I'm going to come out here and say I disagree with your guys' protest against Caffeine. Caffeine is awesome. It's a vasoconstrictor. And it is. Uh, yes. Have you ever heard this? I don't know. If, I don't know if you've ever heard this, but it's a drug. It's addicting, you know, like weed and coke. Okay, if caffeine's a drug, then you guys can't even take aspirin anymore. Like, come on. <laughs> Fine. Out. Gone. I can take aspirin if, as I can, as long as I don't take it every aspirin, single like, morning. <laughs> I, I hate to be a polarizing here and go against you guys. And, just completely ruin this, but come on. Coffee well, is delicious. Have you seen a... I just had a cup of coffee. I loved it. <laughs> okay, we get it. You like coffee. <laughs> like we say, get uh, donut shop, uh, K-Cups. Uh, personally, I love them. Uh, if you could post my affiliate link. No, <laughs> <laughs> Jack's trying. Wait, you can't co-op this podcast to try and get yeah. sponsored. Hi, this is Jack Oli from Patreon. Uh, Jack Oli 125. Jack Oli on Patreon. <laughs> but, uh, you can't co-opt our podcast. Who's the... Uh, and I, I don't have a Patreon, but I do have an OnlyFans. Um, a what? <laughs> he has an OnlyFans. With an OnlyFans. <laughs> Jack sells his underwear <laughs> after he's worn it on his own. It's a steal. $25? Like, come on. Wow. But if well, you're like, really behind on this whole, like, e-girl, like, type, yeah. type thing on, like, Twitter, like, with OnlyFans. Yeah. Well, maybe I'm behind because I haven't been on Twitter in a while. But, um, you know, as we know, I don't mean to I don't mean to go into business for myself. But I do give up all social media during Lent for yeah. 40 days. So. You get it. Uh, He's a I gave up Uber Eats actually. Oh yeah, pretty successful. Let's yeah. go. Uh, I feel like that's just like no, because it's like you could you could a because Jack's got cars down there, so he could drive okay. and pick up food. Also, it's just like but no, I don't have a car. No, but you your friends have cars, so if you needed to get yeah, food, no. you could drive and get there. I'm just, oh yeah, but if they're getting food, they're going to call Uber Eats. So I always just have to say no. Oh hell yeah! I don't know. Or maybe or we may be thinking that like. Jack is like the modern day Job and God has sort of like created the coronavirus to like, you know, because he said he was going to give up Uber Eats, you know, just saying. 
I, uh, uh, why do bad things happen to good people? Yeah. Oh, Joe. Yeah, Joe. I am not going to lie. I was thinking of George Oscar Bluth. <laughs> yes, uh, I assume. But I'm talking about the Bible. Talking about David Copperfield. Um, I think, yeah, you know, uh, yeah, I was not talking about David Copperfield. I could see how you thought, thought it was Joe. Famed illusionist. <laughs> if they're illusions, a trick is something a whore does for money. <laughs> That's for that's for a later podcast. Though. That's for a later podcast. Yeah, uh, really but great. back to talking about the queen. Great role of the queen, the double bird, and then the eventual when they're about to fight and all the Wimbledon guards are holding them back, and then she yells out, "Hey, let them fight!" fight. <laughs> let them fight. And then again, just one of the great, just one of the great like one liners from Seven Days in Hell. If you've seen it, just like. The queen would never do that. That makes no sense. <laughs> well, now that you brought it up, Jack, I guess this is a good time to go over. We're going to have to do favorite one-liners. Uh, John, I'll let you start unless you are totally on the spot. Favorite one-liner. Favorite one-liner in Seven Days in Hell. There are a lot of good ones. Oh, I, mean, I, think, I think we sort of went over it earlier, but when uh, Charles's supermodel ex-girlfriend, or Karen... <laughs> Or what's her name? Or Lily. Lily <laughs> like when he, when she talks about like both of them together. Yeah. Wait, I'm trying to think what it is exactly. Um, the one that Jack said. Yeah. Uh, the line is the line is uh, uh, I I did love them both. both. What's it called Charles was so thick, thick. <laughs> and Aaron was so bad at getting <laughs> erect. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a pretty good one. That's probably that first comes to mind. That's probably the first one that comes to mind. So I have two, uh, which is a theme on the podcast where I steal everyone's, but I'm, there are so many that I know I'm probably not taking Jack, but my two are, they're short ones and they come in the same scene, which is uh, when uh, Char- uh, Aaron accepts his second place Wimbledon trophy. <laughs> the, f- the first one, which is like my second favorite, is when he says later tennis. <laughs> <laughs> later tennis. That's such a weird thing to say. <laughs> Serena Williams also really gets into the comedy. Okay, I'll, 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 I'm getting it beside myself. No, it's fine. She, she's, she does a great job of being the straight man or the straight woman in terms of just playing like, who says that? Later tennis. But anyways, it's just later tennis view, listeners is always just an easy thing and a great thing to bring in any situation. Like say you're leaving, like you're leaving lunch with your friends, later tennis. Um, it's especially great if they've never seen the doc. Exactly. Because <laughs> then they're like, Serena Williams, why would you say something like that? Yeah. But my favorite one-liner is something that will never not, like, absolutely put me in tears is after <laughs> after they've restarted play in the first Wimbledon match where Aaron is up six sets or five sets to nothing in about to end match point. And after he kills the linesman, the best line is Aaron goes to serve again after they get the linesman out. And when he throws up the ball, someone from the crowd yells out, Murderer! He loses his, he loses his tennis racket. That is the ultimate like one-liner. I will never not just die when I hear that. Murderer! Wait, what does he say? Because like he says something to himself, too. Is it this, it, oh no! He says this, this is how we do it. Do no, that's it. before he said. He yeah. just says this is how we do it. <laughs> and Jim Lackley, on which our nineties is it that just some random guy is singing backup vocals? Like the, you have another star singing backup vocals on your song. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> All right, um, Jack. 
so I've got a couple that I just absolutely love. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a, I'm, I'm, I can't really pick one, so I'm going to go with uh, right at the beginning. I mean, it's within probably a minute of the thing being on, probably maybe even less, uh, when uh, the Soledad O'Brien's like, Aaron Williams, you're known as the bad boy of tennis. <laughs> and Aaron's just like, you know what, fuck that and fuck you, and just storms off. <laughs> like, I guess he's the bad boy of tennis, he just... That made absolutely no sense. I think before he says that, too, he's just, like, happy to be here. Like, he's, like, really okay. Like, he's, like, ready to have the interview and told that as one question. It's like, all right, fuck this and fuck you. And uh, the other one is uh, during uh, Aaron's infamous sex tape with Lily uh, when he's uh, having problems getting an erection. Uh, He's just sitting by the bed uh, just trying to get an erection. Uh, Also, with... uh, with his left arm, which is a really interesting detail, considering when he got hit by the lorry uh, that Charles was allegedly driving, it uh, broke his right arm. Wow. So, really good attention to detail. Great, by detail. Go there. Great detail. You know, you yeah, could, you and, could uh, write, you could write, says, I could never take my dick can be a fucking dick. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, I think my favorite one might be indubitably. Oh, indubitably. <laughs> and it comes up multiple times, which also makes it better because, uh, it's just Aaron, I mean, not Aaron, uh, Charles is just clearly such a moron <laughs> in, in the thing. So, like, <laughs> someone just taught him to say indubitably, so he seems smart. Well, he says it so many times. You're right, and there is, but there is a good portion where they, like, rest it, where they don't say it for, like, ten minutes, and then he's at the, he's at, he's at, like, the, uh, he's at a press conference, he's like, oh, indubitably, I'm sad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, when, uh, when uh, Aaron gets hit by the, he gets hit by the truck, yeah. 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 Aaron got hit by a truck. Oh, oh no. <laughs> Come on, he did it. Exactly. Come on. Again, pointing to the, I think that was, I don't know if they mentioned it, but it's like they didn't want to accuse anyone because the British, they hate pointing things out. <laughs> that was, that was, that was uh, when Aaron was just blatantly doing cocaine during the tennis match. <laughs> exactly. He had it on the lines, up his arms, like in his tennis racket, <laughs> in his coke necklace. <laughs> and even on the lines of the court. Oh, man, the 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 coke scene, cocaine plays an integral role in the film or in, in the TV yeah. movie. And uh, David Copperfield saying this is before cocaine was also another great one liner. <laughs> <laughs> but you have to remember, this is before cocaine was illegal. <laughs> cocaine was always illegal. Really? Really? <laughs> <laughs> or uh, when they talk about. Uh, when Serena Williams talks about it, I think, again, uh, this is very in the beginning. It's uh, Serena Williams like, he go months without talking to him. He hang around a lot in Vegas, spending a lot of time with Rod Stewart and some magician. <laughs> and then <laughs> cuts to David Copperfield. Copperfield. <laughs> yeah. Me, Aaron Williams, and Rod Stewart going out every night for about 10 years, crushing pussy and making money. <laughs> <laughs> Also, can we talk about what does David Copperfield have to, like, gain in this film? I mean, obviously, he hasn't been seeing work very regularly. He probably just works the Vegas circuit now. But he's like, I'm pretty sure he has a family. Well, you just got to assume Copperfield, I mean, Copperfield's the ultimate illusionist. You know, he's always willing to, you know, step outside, step outside yeah. the box and, uh, you know, step up where he needs to be. I was yeah, always a Penn and Teller guy. Oh, okay. well, Seven Days in Hell also, made, I think they do a great job of making 
really insignificant characters, but it seems like they're insignificant, huge. I mean, when David Copperfield appears on Kit Williams' shoulders, <laughs> you know there's no way it's ending. On Kit Williams' shoulders, Jack? Kit Harrington, excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> and Charles Poole, yeah. Kit Harrington's shoulders. <laughs> this was actually just a classic mistake. I meant to to appear on the top of the Statue of Liberty. But uh, these things just happen. <laughs> I have seen, uh, I watched, vid- I've, there was a phase like where I watched, like I think it was one day where I just watched a bunch of David Copperfield tricks. Um, all of them are pretty suspect. <laughs> like one of them where it was, there's one trick where he li- makes the Statue of Liberty disappear. And oh, that's bad. The way he just does it is he just has a rotating stage. But it's, like, so slow that they can't notice it. But if they would just, like, look behind themselves, <laughs> they would see the statue of <laughs> Like, as in, as in when they stand up to leave, they're just like, oh, it's right there. <laughs> well, another great one, which is just hilarious, is um, there's one where David Copperfield said, yes, I am going to... Go, I'm going to go through the Great Wall of China. <laughs> and it's literally just like him getting behind a sheet and like, <laughs> it's very tough to describe, but it's just an illusion of it looks like him going in the one end of the Great Wall of China and him coming out the other end. <laughs> Yeah, you got you got you got to assume at like the bottom of all these videos are comments like like a anonymous like YouTube account, but it's got to be David Blaine or somebody like that, just like exposing copper. <laughs> David know? Blaine is exposed. Like, guys, he's so clearly like doing this. Like See, he's palming it. Yeah, like guys, come on. <laughs> like David, David Blaine definitely has a lot of burger accounts on Twitter. <laughs> you have to assume that. But, but there has to be a great, there's a great documentary that needs to be made about some secret blood feud between the two Davids of, uh, oh, between Copperfield. And, and you know Blaine. what they're going to, they're going to call it. They're just going to call it Dave's not here. David, you know what? David Blaine, I don't think he'd ever do that. He'd be like, I'm too good for Copperfield. He would. He would be, he would so do that. David Blaine would never do seven days in hell. No, he would never. Does that just show his dedication to the craft? I don't know, but this is a hilarious first line in David Copperfield's, David Copperfield's Wikipedia is an American magician described by Forbes as being the most commercially successful magician in history. That's like being named the sexiest janitor in human history. (laughs) (laughs) Or the sexiest magician. Or the sexiest magician. Yeah. Yeah, Uh, no, that's... (laughs) But Copperfield, a lot of good Copperfield in this movie. Yeah, I mean, you just look, you look down, like, because you have, you have, like, the legitimate, like, cameos, as in people playing themselves, and then you have the fake cameos. Copperfield's got to be one of the best of the real cameos. The fake cameos, if I do say so, I mean, it's tough, but I think you got to go with Sandy Pickard, a.k.a. Will Forte. Oh, Will Forte is amazing in this. I think yeah. he, he just he just takes the crown on it. And it's and it's, and it's not not like there's no competition. You have Lena Dunham as Lanny Denver. Hilarious. Yeah. You have Fred Armisen as Edward Pudding, who is like a classic, like Fred Armisen, just like hushed tone, like voice, like hilarious. <laughs> Jack, what's the, uh, I'm sure you've got his, the best line of Fred Armisen in this. Um, I think, I think it's gotta be towards the beginning after the Duke is pushed when he's, uh, you don't push 
a member of the British royal family, unless you're breaking me to potting. Armisen is so painfully British in this, it's hilarious. Also, like, no one he, actually is, like, I don't think there's anyone as British as Edward Pudding, ever. <laughs> no, no, I don't think there is. And his, uh, his, like, he'll just randomly be saying something, he'll say, he'll say something, and he'll be like, ooh, excuse my language. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and he never says something bad. But he'll just no. be like, ooh, excuse my language there. Yes, the former pre- Edward Pudding, former president of the All England Club, All England Tennis and Croquet Club. Yes, sir. Yes, croquet, sir. croquet. First mention of croquet on the podcast. <laughs> first of many. First of many. Um, yeah, back to another one-liner that I just love. I just remember so when Chris Everett at the very end of it, it says like. I've seen too many bodies on the tennis court. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> Which she's been playing deadpan the entire time. <laughs> yeah. And um, I think uh, the total body count of dead bodies on the tennis court by the end of the film is three. Right? With Andy Samberg, Kit Harrington, and... Uh, and the ball. Uh, and the judge. Yeah, the line the judge. Line, yeah, the line <laughs> the ball, the ju- Hey, but on the brighter thing, you know, he did reach a new, you know, fastest serve ever record. <laughs> record. When he hit the the ball boy or line judge or whatever, yeah, it wasn't the impact that killed him. He had a heart attack. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That, let's just establish that first. <laughs> also, in the in the period between when he killed him and the award ceremony, Aaron Williams somehow figured out that the guy died of a heart attack. <laughs> <laughs> they did a full autopsy report. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, and also when he's just making fun of uh, the attractiveness of. Attractiveness of British people. <laughs> <laughs> like two attractive, pe- two hot people. Most they're both like sixes. <laughs> they would be even lower in LA or Miami, even in San Francisco. And right after that, disaster strikes when uh, <laughs> the Duke of Kent gets pushed. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's one thing that, like, this is obviously, like, a little bit more particular thing, but I think the editing in this movie is phenomenal, the way they, like, edit and, like, like present everything. Like, first off, doing the Duke sound, like, 20 times <laughs> in a row, hilarious. Yeah, and, going to all, like, the news stations around the world with the Duke of Kent being pushed. <laughs> exactly. Also, like, they, I, I think it was just a great decision that whenever they would get, like, they would touch every single subject would be touched upon by every cameo fake or not and i mean that like john McEnroe talking about the famous uh, sketch artist <laughs> yeah <laughs> like it didn't matter if you were a tennis expert or like an english like or part of the english like uh the all england club you were commenting on every single part of the documentary <laughs> yeah and honestly i think my favorite part of the whole thing has to be the, the tragic story of Jan Eric Eklund. Oh. I mean, where did that even come from? <laughs> <laughs> it's also just like they decided on having a bit that was ridiculous, and then they're just like, oh, we're not going to slow down. <laughs> it's a mockumentary inside a mockumentary. But it's like, <laughs> exactly, but it's like they like they had a conscious decision. It was like, okay, we can throw in this really silly, stupid bit. And just like you know, talk about the score, the courtroom sketch artist, or we can ramp it up to a thousand and talk about how he died. <laughs> yeah, no, I like I like to a lot of times like movies and stuff like that. I like to think that like one obscure, really like funny thing is what they like base a movie around. Yeah. So for like this, like it'd be the Jan Eklund, like Jan Eriksson Eklund. Like they just started the movie there. That's where it began. That's where the idea <laughs> it wasn't came even from. supposed to be a tennis movie. <laughs> no, it started out with that. <laughs> 
And then it just like expanded. You know? The wait, why is everyone talking about him? Oh, because he was at is because he was at a court case. Why was he at a court case? Oh, because uh, Aaron Williams, disgraced tennis player, was on trial <laughs> yeah, for yeah. making show for making underwear that caused severe ball chafing. Like it's just like Andy Samberg and just like. <laughs> <laughs> just like Andy Samberg and like one other person just like riffing just like back and forward you know improvising and they come up with this whole thing you know I think John accidentally said a nice portmanteau back in fjord <laughs> um, we haven't touched on the prison scene have we so I have a I have a really funny story about the prison scene um, which is that uh, Jack you want to describe the prison scene yeah um, so I can't remember. This is a YouTube channel that's much bigger at the time. I think it's called Taiwanese News. And so this is like a YouTube channel. Uh, they're pretty big. Uh, um, and so they do like, uh, they like animate, uh, they like animate like what happens with news. Uh, they do, do dramatization. They do animated dramatizations. Yeah. And so it goes into that and it's like that weird sort of, uh, that weird sort of animation um, like NBA 2K5 or something yeah it's like it's so strange and it goes in it's you know the all male orgy just so graphic just 3D dicks everywhere and uh, I think that's also like did Dolph Lundgren like consent to that like <laughs> for 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 the listeners who have not seen it, there is a lone Dolph Lundgren scene where he is speaking in Swedish, and it's not like they got him for the actual like documentary. This is an old clip referencing something, <laughs> and it just for some reason fits into his description of the of the uh, prison orgy scene. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's credited as Dolph Lundgren playing self archive footage, uncredited. <laughs> interesting you bring this up because <clears throat> excuse me it's interesting you bring this up because uh i had a similar encounter where so when i was on my lacrosse team in college we would do team dinners before every game and occasionally like or most of the times team dinners we would get we would get in like a large academic room because that's where we could fit all like 40 of us like eat dinner and like watch a movie and i decided oh let's do seven days in hell everyone loves seven days in hell um and we are in an academic room in the middle of Hall, which is one of the academic buildings in Haverford. And literally right as uh, the orgy scene is coming on, we, meanwhile, we have this projected on probably like a 10 foot by 10 foot projector. 
So like it is it is up there on the big screen. And as it's playing, a class is getting let out next to like next to the room. So people are just walking by the windows, looking in and seeing us all dying laughing, watching the animated orgy scene with like Andy Samberg's like like three foot long penis flapping around. Yeah. <laughs> and what and I think Oh, go ahead. Uh, I was going to say one of the one of the best nuggets is just the line that any escape from a Swedish prison, which according to law makes you a free man. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean it's just ridiculous, and I, that that scene is the one thing that makes it takes us from I'd say an uh, maybe safe to watch to not a safe watch. <laughs> yeah, I mean that entire <clears throat> it's just there's just so much in that entire subplot of. Aaron getting sent to jail. The fact that Aaron gets sent to jail because he makes a brand of underwear that causes like, like you said, ball chafing. And one of the, one of the funniest like tiny moments is Aaron speaking Swedish in like Andy Samberg's accent. <laughs> like they ask him if he misses tennis. He's like, nah, da, 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 flugen, oh, yeah. flugen. Comes <laughs> into like his like memories, like, I don't think there's a single person in the world who doesn't want to sleep with Aaron Williams. Right <laughs> <laughs> it's ridiculous. Uh, and uh, the way they lead up to the sack flop too, because you think he's wearing the sack flop underwear when that interview starts, yeah. uh, the, the guy doing the interview. Yeah. And then you realize that uh, once they get to it, that he's not. <laughs> and just the examination of the model wearing the sack flop <laughs> underwear. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> the, and he's like a pointer stick. Yep. Yeah, yep. Oh, jeez. Yeah, that's when it starts getting into the kind of cringy territory, but still funny, but not nearly as laugh out loud funny as the rest of the uh, the rest of the film. Yes, definitely. Like, though, I mean, obviously, like we were talking about, Jan, is it Jan Eriksson Eklund or Jan Eklund Eriksson? Jan Jan Eric Eklund. <laughs> Jan Eric Eklund. I mean, the Jan Eric Eklund scene. Phenomenal. The the sketches make it even better. And like I said, with all the like tennis people talking about it and giving their commentary, just taking it further, like into like further absurdity, taking it like over the edge. Yeah, I mean, they, they did such a good job of getting these like real actual names in tennis to do this. And then also, Jim Lampley the whole time is almost like he's almost like irate that he has to even report on this because. He kind of makes it clear throughout the the film that he hates tennis. (laughs) Well, again, yeah. uh, Like, when they die, he straight up says it. Like, this would have been tragic (laughs) if it was two basketball players, football players, but it's tennis. Who cares? (laughs) Yep, yep. And that's how, like, that's one of, like, the last lines in in the movie. Yeah, yeah, no, uh, again, we talked about it, but, like, the realism kind of aspect being brought to it by having all these real big names just further takes it into like absurdist territory and it and it just makes it uh incredible and i think like something that just doesn't or i mean obviously does but the thing that also makes it incredible is just the absolutely just buying in performances by both andy samberg and kit harrington i mean we talked about it earlier but just kit harrington going from being like you know the probably one of the more badass characters on Game of Thrones to then just like saying, no, I'm going to like make an ass out of myself. It's <laughs> Charles Poole. Like the fact that he buys in and does it so well is just, you can't say enough about it. Yeah. He plays arguably it's hilarious. the anti Jon Snow, you know, in this, in this yeah. film, it's, it's phenomenal. And then we touched on it earlier, 
Kid Harrington, he's getting to his peak. This is probably like Sandberg's even like he's like hot right now too. He's like third season mm-hmm. Brooklyn Nine Nine. He's catching fire. I mean, this after SNL post SNL, yeah, post SNL. But Sandberg is. They're both two major figures in in you know Hollywood right now at at this point on on the big screen. Which is interesting yeah. because we we don't have quite the hindsight on either of their careers, but like I still don't think we've seen Sandberg's peak. Hopefully, no, I think I think I don't know. I thought Bash Brothers. Uh, if you guys have seen that, the uh, Lonely Island Netflix special was was. I think that was an achievement for him in and mm-hmm. of itself. The Bash Brothers, obviously, Mark McGuire and Jose Canseco. Jose Canseco. Yeah, yeah, obviously, <laughs> very very interesting spin they had on that. Not what I thought was going to happen <laughs> when I went in watching the watching the uh, the video, but uh, it's I, really just a thirty minute music video. But it is, but like I think regardless. that's. I think it, that, like, that, it was something that I didn't find, like, I, th- I agree that it was a feat, it's something I didn't find as funny as Seven Days in Hell, but I think it was just, like, the sheer, like, experimental nature of it was crazy. Yeah, and it's also another one of those things where it's almost like Seven Days in Hell, and it's like, why did they pick this? Bash Brothers, why did they pick Mark <laughs> McGuire and Jose Canseco? <laughs> exactly, they just chose, like, one team in MLB history there, I was like, yeah, we're gonna, we're gonna go over this now. <laughs> It's like they put on a blindfold and threw a dart at a dartboard, and they're like, "All right, here's what we're doing." Yeah, but but uh, somewhat successfully, and I think it is interesting, like how like the backdrop being of like you said, it's very random that they chose tennis. Why choose tennis? Like you can do a mockumentary on anything, but it was just like the mixture of just how like one tennis being kind of this one-on-one sport, which made it like incredibly. Uh, entertaining to watch Charles versus Aaron to like the fact that tennis has this reputation of being so uptight <laughs> and just let that yeah. juxtaposed with Aaron Williams and them like going off the rails. I think it just takes the absurdist aspects of this, of this movie and just takes it over the edge in like the best way. Well, yeah, you have all the absurdity of pretty much John McEnroe put into Aaron Williams. And then you also have the absurdity of like England's obsession with Wimbledon and like, and having a British player win Wimbledon, which is just like a massive thing that they, that they do. But they I love mean, talking about they, it. They love talking about it. Who, I mean, what's his name? Murray. Andy Murray is like, the poor, first one poor man is probably like aged, like, like so much in the, in the years that he like was competitive for Wimbledon because the amount of pressure that Britain puts on him to like win it every year that he could ridiculous. Yeah. Isn't he also like, North Irish or something, or is he truly English? He's, I, I believe he's Irish. He I don't is, think he's Irish. I think he's, he's from Glasgow. Oh, he's from Glasgow, Scotland. He's Scottish. He's Scottish. But he's, he, he's Great Britain. Obviously, he's he the United Britain. Kingdom. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, that is kind of funny. How that, 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 that was like transferred on to Charles yeah, as like his character. <laughs> well, and it's the whole, I think another is funny part of it is the whole thing where it's just like, mommy won't love you till you're number one. <laughs> he, he, he's number two in this movie. So like, it's, I mean, another funny thing, just the pressure and all that stuff that adds to the comedic value. There's so many small details. Like, uh, I think in the first match, uh, before, uh, Aaron kills the man, <laughs> I think the, uh, the sets are, Six six five. So if Aaron went six six six, and then the bottom row, which uh, Jan's Goosens is who he's playing in the uh, in the first one, or in the first match, yeah, where he kills the man. Which again, I feel like that's a slight nod to Bjorn Bjorg. <laughs> um, his his 
reads out 420. So oh, I think yeah. that's a... I think that's a really funny. Uh, <laughs> I think uh, it's, it's I, a little, I, little uh, thing. I, uh, I like that. Six 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 four twenty. Like, are you kidding me? Well, I mean, six 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 is how all like tennis matches end, Jack. So. Well, yeah, I guess. Okay. <laughs> Don't worry. I, I, I still, I still uh, appreciate it. Um, but you were bringing up Charles' relationship with his mom is just so horrible. Exactly. I want to talk about that more because that is obviously a great, great character uh, actress. In Charles's mother, Mary uh, Steenbergen. Yeah, uh, as Louisa Poole. As Louisa Poole, you will know her as the mom from Step Brothers and the mom from Elf and now the mom from Seven Days in Hell. But she is just a phenomenal character actress uh, in her own right. One of the, one of the Will Ferrell casts of cavalcade of characters as yeah. we talk about yeah. on the podcast. And uh, I also <laughs> love when they, uh, they, they kind of bring it up in the uh, film and... Uh, there's that like tabloid, like the front page of the tabloid where it says "Mommy Fearest" <laughs> yelling at girls. That's like, so ridiculous. Also, just like they're talk, like when they talk about like the relationships and stuff. This is another theme of the movie where there's just like so much fucked up shit that is clearly going on, but that none of them want to bring, like do anything about. Yeah. Like obviously, you know, one of the greatest scenes in cinema, which is uh, the threesome scene. <laughs> yeah, we haven't even touched on that at all. Also, they they have the dude from BMS. Yeah, who uh, plays the uh, Blue Mountain State? Uh, yeah. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he's also uh, in Tour de Pharmacy as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like he his his like niche in uh, the industry is really just the dude who runs around with his uh, wiener out. Yeah, um, no, he's definitely like he's like the guy that was like he's like thirty some, but clearly hasn't let college go. Like party guy, that's that that's that's, that's his, his that's his cast. go to. <laughs> that's his, this is my comfort zone. He goes in and just like, all right, you're we're doing a remake of Shakespeare's Henry the Second. I'm just like, guys, you gotta know my comfort zone <laughs> is streaking. <laughs> when do I streak? When do I streak? Where's the quad? This is uh, yeah. it's tenth century England. Also, Where's the quad? He also, he has plays a recurring role on the TV show How I Met Your Mother. Oh, really? As Punchy for our. Oh, he's he's uh, Ted's best friend yeah, from high college. school friend or whatever high school friend. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I, I mean, just uh, yeah. Also, the, they find so many different ways to make the game drag. <laughs> I think. Uh, the first one was what? I think the first night was it where it starts raining. It was rain. <laughs> yeah, a thunderstorm suspense yeah. play. One of my favorite lines, which is Andy Samberg, he feels one drop. He's like, "Oh nope, sorry, get up, get up, sorry, get up." It's raining. We got and it just hits all the balls into the into the, into the stadium. Oh, sorry. <laughs> it's raining. Another great one liner. It's raining. We can't play. Oh, we can't play. Sorry. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you have it's raining, and then... So, like, John, you want to go through what, how each day gets uh, takes this uh, long? I can try. Okay, so first day, is you have pool. Pool is dominating. He, he wins first set 6-0, and then it starts thunderstorming, so Sandberg's character, obviously, is like, let's end this. Second day, he, Williams comes back, and I forget how that one ends. I believe... Uh, it, that is... He's, it says a, on the pot summary, it says a revitalized Williams... Uh, but that was when he was on cocaine. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's what he. But I, I forgot how that. I think that day just goes too long. Third day as well. Like it's eight hours. After eight hours of intense tennis, the match is suspended. That's the. That's the long. I think the third day is when they do the longest rally ever in Wimbledon history. Yeah, they, they do. That is the third day. <laughs> that is, that one is hilarious. And then the fourth day, uh, 
Williams is about to lose, and then the streakers come on, and then you have the, the, the like, whatever, like, six-hour-long, like, like street, like, orgy that whatever thing that he has. Interspersed with the crowd cheering. <laughs> yeah, stock. with the guy standing up and cheering. <laughs> and then that's, and then... Explicitly, yeah, it's in the rule book. There's nothing that ever says they cannot do that. So, what are we supposed to do except let them? (laughs) It's just like, like, whatever you do on the main court at Wimbledon, on the seventh court at Wimbledon, is yours and yours only. (laughs) When Eric goes down on the streaker, high fiving her the whole time, (laughs) as referenced back in the sex tape as well. Yeah. Let me just go down on you while we high five. High five, high five. High five. <laughs> Will Forte is like, I'm no stranger to adult films. <laughs> the, uh, what, the, Jack, what is what what happens? Which is why the uh, what happens? Which is why the official has to say quiet on the court. <laughs> uh, I think someone goes, Woo, "That's what I'm talking about," or something. Like that. <laughs> quiet on the court. <laughs> <laughs> And then, okay, so that's that's day four. Yes, day five. It is suspended after darkness, and this is after day five is when the queen beats up pool in the in the elevator. Mm-hmm. And, you know that's, and then the sixth day, you have at the beginning of it, Williams is hit by a truck that we don't know who drives it, but you have to assume it's pool because he has a truck driver. He drives a lorry. Yeah, it's, it's his <laughs> occupational school, and then it looks like he's going to win. But then Copperfield ends up showing up on, on, on Poole's shoulders, and then they, they just suspend the day. And the seventh day obviously ends with them murdering each other. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I also love the way they kill each other. It's like they just hit each other in the head with their tentacles. <laughs> Once. That, that yeah. wouldn't kill anyone no matter how hard they <laughs> Yeah, no. Like, but, you know, it's the beauty in the match because, you know, it's how they were supposed to go. It's They were supposed to die together, and then after they die together, they are hence buried together as well. <laughs> I, for, I forgot that they're, they're put in the same coffin. It's hilarious. It's just like the scene. And, like, they're clearly, like, moving in the coffin, too. Like, they're just, like, they're playing <laughs> each other as dead bodies. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, like, they're supposed to be dead. They're moving, but, yeah, no, they, they, they are buried together in the same coffin. So that's how they would have wanted it. <laughs> Yeah, and I love how uh, Serena Williams is the one who's like, it was only right that they be buried together. They get completely serious deadpan, like this is tragic, and they have to be buried together. Someone give Serena Williams a goddamn Emmy. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Yeah. You get, like, just to the entire, like, legit cameos that are made in this film, like, wow. Uh, the ability for them to do deadpan, I mean, McEnroe, that's just like, okay, like, we get McEnroe it. McEnroe has one you're, speed. Yeah, you're, you're, you're a character. <laughs> and it's like, angry. We get it. <laughs> and then, like, but, like, uh, like you said, Chris Everett, uh, Serena Williams, Jim Lampley. Phenomenal appearances throughout the film. Oh, yeah. Love it. And the uh, I was thinking, uh, one thing I was thinking of, which you were talking about, Edward Pudding, played by uh, Fred Armisen, talking about, what are we going to do but, like, let them go? Mm-hmm. I happened to notice after a couple of rewatchings that his reign as uh, chairman of the All English Club was from 1988 to 2001, which is when Seven Days in Hell takes <laughs> place. So you have to assume that he was fired because of the events of of this, uh, of this His match. handling of <laughs> Seven Days in Hell. We, we have to assume. Yeah. Complete disaster. 
Or you can assume that he he never would see a peak in tennis again, and so he's gonna be left on top. He left the sport, you know, because he didn't see the point of it being after that match. Yeah, and, uh, also, you know, despite the tragic ending, uh, I think the the kind of we we see how the players really feel about each other at the end, and those uh, the interviews from before the match. Oh, the touching interviews, yeah, yeah, where it's. You know, Charles is like, I really look up to Aaron Williams. He's my favorite tennis player and person of all time. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, that's when Michael Sheen just continues to just be. Just, <laughs> I mean, that's just Lift up so your shirt, son. <laughs> Show me your abs. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think that camera quite done that. You're looking exquisitely fit. <laughs> yeah, and with the point being Jack. that at this point, Charles Poole is supposed to be 15 years old. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I think it, it's only fitting with all the weird, like, uh, there's a lot of themes like that in Game of Thrones. So it's only <laughs> fitting that. It extends. Uh, I mean, Jack, you obviously see the similarities. Yeah. They're yeah, slapping you, you know, over the uh, face with it. Yeah. Uh, 70s and how I think, is something that really can strike a chord with anyone. It relates to, it relates to everything, <laughs> in my opinion. Thinking of the final interview scene, Jack, do you or do you guys remember what the quote is Copperfield says where it's like he ends it off with being like, and that was his greatest trick. Actually, somebody should say that about me. Somebody should say that about me. Yeah, he's just like, somebody should say that about me. Copperfield just clearly still going into business for himself. Yeah. Uh, Which is what you have to assume. The thing is, it's like a joke by Copperfield, but you also have to assume that that's legitimately what David Copperfield would think in real life. And how he acts. Yeah, exactly. His greatest delusion (laughs) was tricking us into thinking that he wasn't that way. Uh, and also, I think this is one of the post-credit scenes. <laughs> uh, Kid Harrington's getting interviewed, like uh, from the earlier interview, and Kid Harrington's getting interviewed by Soledad O'Brien. And uh, <laughs> Kid Harrington's basically just like explaining the game of tennis. Oh, yeah. <laughs> just, no, I think so, the, I think the question is like, so Aaron or so so Charles, how do you do it? Oh, we'll see. Uh, I serve the ball. One of us serves the ball, and then. They return, and if they return it in, and I don't hit it, uh, it's their point, and that makes me quite sad. Uh. <laughs> yeah. I, be- I believe I believe this scene is right before the prison es- ex- escape scene. Oh, really? I, be- I believe so. Oh, okay. Uh, and I may be wrong, <laughs> but I think it's because it's like starts with that, and then they ask him to like if he's better than Williams, and he says it, and that's what yes. stirs Williams yes. to leave the the all the catalyst, <laughs> the all male orgy early. <laughs> Because they left the TV on for him. Yeah, it's sold out O'Brien. It's just like, I know how the game of tennis is played, but what's your overall strategy? He just says, indubitably. <laughs> indubitably. <laughs> indubitably. <laughs> and so then in the post credit scene, they cut to right after that. And she says, hey, Aaron, or Charles says, I, I don't know what the word strategy means, Brian Gumble. And she's like, I'm not Brian Gumble. <laughs> Wait, really? <laughs> <laughs> Real sports with Brian. Around, he's like, I'm in the wrong show. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Um, I feel like the one twist we haven't talked about is uh, one of my favorite twists, which is the great psychological warfare Aaron Williams plays on Charles Poole by declaring himself a child of England. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, by by proclaiming that he has located his father, and it is famous British pop singer Engelbert Humperdinck. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what? No, this guy's a real guy. You're joking. <laughs> there, 
Engelbert, Engelbert Humperdinck has been described as one of the finest middle-of-the-road balladeers around. Middle-of-the-road? Yeah, I don't know. that. I think that's a cop. I don't know if that's a compliment. I don't think so. It kind that's of like saying, that's like, I don't even know, like, that's like you're the best. That's like calling him Joe Flacco. Yeah. <laughs> like, you're like one of the great, you're like one of like the like greatest like middle Middle men. <laughs> like, <laughs> His singles "Release Me" and "The Last Waltz" both topped the UK music charts in 1967. Wow. What? I'm gonna have to listen to Inkerberto. <laughs> <laughs> this man, this man. His, okay, his real name is Arnold George Dorsey, but I guess he decided the best move for his career was to change his name to <laughs> the Engelbert most comically Humperdinck. English thing ever. <laughs> like, how am I gonna sell seats? <laughs> Engelbert, <laughs> that's gotta be a name. If they made Fred Armisen's character Engelbert Humperdinck, I think that would have been over the line. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's, that's too British. That's too real. <laughs> like, I can buy Edward Pudding. I can't buy Engelbert Humperdinck. What would be great is if he played both Edward Pudding and Engelbert Humperdinck. <laughs> <laughs> A double Armisen role. Yeah. Another one of huge plot twists is Aaron Williams being bald. <laughs> yeah, also comes in the same... <laughs> In the same scene, exactly. He'd been balding since he was about 13. <laughs> the press conference where they arranged both of them. Oh, that's good. That is also like, how hilarious is it? Well, who would arrange a, a press conference in the middle of a Wimbledon seven-day match where you bring both of them at the podium? Well, there's two. Yeah. They have two. They have two? The one that you're talking yeah. about is actually after the one where he – because he doesn't proclaim it with him there. Oh, he doesn't? No. Okay. So he proclaims, yeah, right. he proclaims it before day six, and he and like because Williams is talking about how he got hit by the truck and how it was pool, and then Pool's reaction is grabbing the hair. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I also love when it's uh, they bring up the sex tape, and Aaron Williams is just like, "Oh, you done heard about that?" <laughs> <laughs> they also bring up that if Charles had actually watched it, he wouldn't have even been mad. <laughs> Yeah, the mind games are great. My favorite part, of, my favorite mind game that they play, I can't remember if this is early in the match or early in the movie, is uh, I think Charles hits one and the ref calls it out. And <laughs> Aaron's just like, oh, is it out? Oh, I, I couldn't see. Charles like, yeah, 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 it was out. Oh, it was out? I, I couldn't see. I'm sorry, I couldn't see. Uh, um, we could talk about this movie for ages. This TV movie, a, a Marvel. Mockumentary. Mockumentary. Some would put it up there with Spinal Tap, uh, which Jack, I know, is one of our personal favorites. Uh, yes. Um, I would definitely put it on the level. Also, because the great thing between these two that are similar is that um, Spinal Tap also takes itself very seriously in terms of trying to portray it very, like, down the middle and real. And that it gets... Yeah. Up. Yeah. And it's just like, yeah, everyone's so serious for this whole thing, like... And all the comedy really just happens in, like, the facts of the documentary. I guess, actually, no, because some of the things that I think Will Forte in particular says are just absurd. <laughs> as, the, as, the, as the biographer, as the historian there trying to retell it, his, his character is great. Yeah. Uh, I, for any of the listeners who haven't seen MacGruber, uh, which is Will Forte's real chance to shine in a major role, um, yeah. it is a very bad movie, but it is hilarious. And I think it's achieved cult status at this point. Um, highly worth a rewatch. Oh, like, yeah. I, I 
just the one scene that always sticks out for me is where he gathers his entire team <laughs> and then they blow up and he's just, guys, no. And he starts running back to the truck. Someone call 911. Like in a classic, like, Will Forte whining voice. Like, guys, no. Better is part of that scene where he's recruiting his gang and they're all former WWE wrestlers, which yeah. is awesome. But the best part is, so he recruits, like, Jericho. He recruits the great Kali. He gets Mark Henry. He gets Kane. And then he's about to get the big show. And he finds the big show working at an auto Place and he like finds him and he's like yes let's go this is all a montage played over music so you don't hear them actually talking recruits him and like checks him off the list and then like as he's leaving he sees the big show go and like make out with his partner who's another dude and then it cuts <laughs> back to him just crossing out the name <laughs> yeah, some, nice. some good late 2000s homophobia yeah and I think I think one documentary we are we are we are sleeping on is gentle and soft the story of the Blue Gene Committee. Oh, Blue Gene Committee. Which I think is the penultimate documentary now. Penultimate or the ultimate? Or the ultimate. I penultimate guess. means second yeah, to right last. Before. Yeah, right. <laughs> penultimate sounds better. <laughs> no, it is the ultimate. <laughs> Jack, have you seen Gentle and Soft? Uh, wait. Um, it's the one where they're making fun of the Eagles. That? They make fun of the Eagles and they play the Blue Gene, and it's Bill Hader and Fred Armisen playing the Blue no. Gene Committee, which is. No, personally, hey. my favorite one was the where they're making fun of the uh, the election. Oh well, yes, the War Room is yeah, hilarious. Room is A long jockey in nineteen ninety two. Gentlemen, wait, who is uh? Shoot, there's a Tulane professor they're making fun of in that one. You mean Carville? Uh, yeah, James Carville. Carville's a Tulane professor. Yeah. No, yeah. Well, I mean, he's he a, he is the he is the uh, the Ragin Cajun. Yeah, he's uh, yeah, he's like pretty big, and uh, like a lot of like if you're a poli sci student, there's a pretty good chance like he always invites students over to have dinner with them. Damn, that's he has cool. dinners at his house, which I assume is very big. <laughs> What's the the uh, the best is his his one of his lines as his like fake Carville character Teddy Redbones is he's, he's in the he's in the play he's just like yeah yeah they've got a lot of nicknames for me the 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 Louisiana liquor the the the, Mach, the Mississippi Machiavelli and a suspected arsonist. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that, uh, th- those are both of your guys are great. I love the War Room and John uh, Gentle and Soft is I, also phenomenal. I just think for for coming from Chicago, Chicago, like it is because they play a band from, from Chicago, Chicago, but they play a Western. Or so like the, a, the, they're a Chicago band who makes it big by capturing the California like sound, and it's it's hilarious. <laughs> and just like its portrayal of. of of Chicago and, and the sausage factory. Catalina breeze. Catalina. <laughs> I mean, it, this is what happens when you have a man in the band who does everything. And then the other man who just, just sings, sings high. high. <laughs> <laughs> um, Wait, Will, were we watching that? Uh, when you were uh, in New Orleans? I think I might have just fallen asleep during it. No, I wasn't. We weren't watching it uh, in New Orleans. Uh, I never saw it when I was in New Orleans, but it's it's Bill and my one of Bill and my favorite. Uh, I highly recommend watching it, and yeah. I'm definitely going to rewatch both uh, both uh, mockumentaries, both the uh, both the War Room. Walk Hard, a mockumentary. Oh, Walk Hard is mm. got to be episode. Fi- it is a mockumentary, obviously. It's episode fifteen on the podcast. I can't wait to talk about Walk Hard because yeah, it, it that, that's one of the great. It's one of the greats. It's it's honestly like, and I was I was reading a history of it. I think it was on the Ringer. I was reading a history of Walkhart, and it just 
like it is so painstakingly real and it's because like they worked so incredibly hard on the movie um like it like john c Riley worked like day and night trying to get everything right and the movie came out phenomenally the scene with the beatles is incredible the scene where tim meadows explains why dewey shouldn't do weed yeah hilarious <laughs> Tim yeah, Meadows I mean, and his Tim Meadows. Seven Days in Hell. What are you saying? Lockhart might be the only thing that can try to handle on Seven Days in Hell. You are certainly right. Uh, 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 no arguments yeah. for me, Jack. <laughs> I, I think that, uh, I guess, shine a light to it. I don't know. I think that uh, Blue Jean Committee. I, I don't know. In terms of short form, yeah. Blue Jean Committee is also up there. Yeah, I think it's got. It's be. just that the the fact that like Walkhard does it over an hour and a half, like two yeah. hours, is is like unparalleled. Also, they have a lot of great cameos. Like in the end, they have Eddie Vedder, Ghostface Killer. Like they have like people inducting him. Uh, big cult following film. Big cult following film. Blue Jean Committee. They have Heim as yeah, a. Yeah, uh, they have Heim. Well, they have Heim. The whole thing is that they. That whole notes used to open for them to yeah they, they have they have they have, Hall, notes they have, they have jo- uh, John Hall or Daryl yeah, they, they have Oates they have Oates they have John Oates yeah John Oates whatever Oates and stuff like I think that. his first name was John Oates but uh, yeah yeah anyways let's reel it back in Seven Days in Hell we're you know we've gone over plenty of things and we're obviously going to retouch on things we already talked about but let's go over favorite scenes uh, John what did we say the order was going to be now the order is guest goes first then you then me. Okay, and then next episode's guest goes first. Then you. No, then. I'm no. always last. You're always last. All right. I'm last. I, I got. I got to deal with the pressure. You know. All right. Well, Jack, you can potentially steal each of our scenes, so you get to go ahead and choose your favorite scene in the movie, which I know is a tough task. But yeah, let's oh, keep good. it to one. Um, uh, shoot, I, I'd say. Oh man, I don't know. Uh, I think uh, obviously the Jan Eric scene is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Um. In terms of scenes that take place on the tennis court, uh, I think the cocaine scene is really, really funny, <laughs> especially because it's Serena Williams talking about her alleged brother's uh, cocaine use. <laughs> and where he would hide it. <laughs> Others suspected that burst of energy was from something much more illicit than confidence. It was pretty obvious that he had hidden cocaine in his water bottles and in his rackets. And in his coat necklace, and even on the lines of the court. That seems crazy now. You gotta remember, this is before cocaine was illegal. Uh, Cocaine was always illegal. Really? Yeah, and um, it's also, I think that's my favorite too, especially because I can't remember if it's that day or the one before or the one after where he comes out looking completely flat, I think is what they say. And, uh, He's like hobbling around and falling over. And it's, uh, I can't remember who says it. I want to say it might be uh, Chris Everett. And she's like, he looked like an old faded drug addict, which is what he was. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, I, I'd have to say the cocaine scene or Yon uh, Eric. I really can't. I, I can't make a decision. <laughs> we won't fault I you. I love this too much. We won't fault you for that, Jack. I, I do love the uh, before he's. The scene where he, they talk about him being like escaping from prison is just like XPCP addict, like whatever. Or, uh, is that what Aaron he's? Williams. Is that's that what his header is? Like ex ex professional tennis player, ex ex uh, PCP addict, PCP addict. Oh, there's actually a small bit of foreshadowing 
Uh, I watched this last weekend. That's the only reason I remembered. Uh, X porn star. They slip it right in there. Ooh. And like, lo and behold, like 15, 20 minutes later is sex tape. Interesting. I like it. The little, the little telegraphing foreshadowing. Yeah. There are layers to this movie as, as we have clearly shown. Um, I guess before I go into favorite scenes, one of my favorite moments, tiny moments is, uh, which we haven't touched upon. We talked about how, uh, um, how Aaron was run over by what we can only assume was Charles Poole, and he broke it. <laughs> so the two part is he broke his right arm. Um, so for one of the whole days, he has to play only left-handed, and the sheer electricity of him acing that first left-handed serve is incredible. <laughs> and then the next day, he's talking about, I'm good, my right arm's feeling good, popped it back. I pop my, He's like, I popped my shoulder back in lethal weapon style. <laughs> yeah. Um, but my favorite scene is obviously the entire first championship match. It's the murderer scream. It's him killing a guy. It's shoving the Duke. Favorite scene. No, no bones about it. No questions asked. That that just like per. I think I remember watching it for the first time, and I remember laughing out loud that entire scene. And I just like that was when I first watched the movie. I'm like, it's early on. That scene is just uh that. Knocks me dead. Yeah. And obviously you look back and you realize that's Howie Mandel. That only adds, you know. It's Howie Mandel the whole time. Just like what's called. The twist was that the, the, the guy, that ball guy, that was Bruce Willis the whole time. <laughs> the M. Night Shyamalan twist. The M. Night Shyamalan twist. Bruce Willis was dead the entire <laughs> time. <laughs> well, okay, that's the actual twist. But I'm, I'm trying to think what it was. No, the the joke was that the joke Charles. This is referencing the Always Sunny. It's yeah. like no, the twist was that guy was Bruce Willis the whole time, <laughs> or the yeah, actor. Yeah. I, I I messed that one up, but if, see if I can bring it back in. I mean, obviously, both of you said there's a lot of possible scenes in here. I think there's like a, a lot of little moments that are like subtly my fa- like the favorite. Like one that comes to mind is when the. Uh, when the male streaker <laughs> comes on the court and like they start they start going at it or like first like everyone's like nope 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 and then they start going at it yeah and then they pan to what they, Kit Harrington who's just who's just got hard on <laughs> it's just oh, like yes, it's just like like out of nowhere <laughs> like yeah, yeah. like he's just trying to cross his legs that's pretty funny but I yeah, think like, Lena Dunham's like or, they're letting out the harmonized mode and then they cut to Lena Dunham is her interview and she's like. He came so hard and made a divot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, I mean, that the whole streaker thing is hilarious, but I think it's sort of a little scene, but I think my favorite thing is when, like, Poole is just about to win it, and then David Copperfield, out of nowhere, shows up on his shoulders. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, it's just, like, because it's the full, it comes full circle. Like, it's the whole, like, you, you connect something from the beginning. I just think also, it's Also, and it's David Copperfield is rested for a bit. You don't see him for probably yeah, 15, exactly. 20 minutes. Well, you, that's the best part about stuff like that is that, like, you for completely forget about David Copperfield, and they throw him right, right back, back at in, you yeah. in classic Copperfield fashion, you know, classic <laughs> illusion, you know. These things but, just... Happened, you know, and then, and then his explanation. Yeah, exactly. I, I, that's got to be that. Just they were palming. He was palming the scene the entire time. Because <laughs> uh, when he's when he's there at the beginning, it's kind of explaining Aaron's backstory. Exactly. And you're kind of like, of all the people, like, why is he? Here? <laughs> <laughs> then he comes back and plays a pivotal role in this tennis match. Yeah, it's, it's really just. It's, it's, it's a genius. You I know, think. some some say he sealed the fate for Aaron Williams' death, his own friend. Mm. 
Wow. Yeah. You sealed oh, both of them. I never really thought about that. Yeah. Everything. Imagine Everything. if he just landed on the Statue of Liberty. We might not be talking about this mockumentary. <laughs> I mean, it definitely wouldn't have the impact. This as it's definitely not the greatest tennis match in all time, maybe if it doesn't end that way, you know. Yeah. In a love story. Another one of my favorite tiny moments, which we didn't touch upon, is during the press conference. It's one of the press conferences where they're like fighting, like they're together and they're like, I think it's after the sex tape comes out and they're starting to like fight, like at the press conference. And then about, they're about to like storm out, like, fine, fine. And Andy Samberg tries to make out with Charles. (laughs) Yeah, that's at the end. (laughs) He's like, no, no, fine, fine. And then he goes in to try and make out with them again, just painting this picture of, uh, painting a great picture of Aaron Williams. Don't touch my bloody girl, mate. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and I'm just remembering like the setup to the Copperfield. It's like I think it's uh you have like either Fred Armstead or Wolf Forte. It's like I mean the classic. You're at the uh, hundred. It's the 196 game. It's 98 <laughs> triple match point. You know. <laughs> well, no, it's like what happens at 98 97 was one of the most devastating moments in tennis history. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like <laughs> triple match point. <laughs> triple match point. <laughs> David Copperfield. No, but and then and then <laughs> afterwards, Charles is constantly looking over his shoulder. <laughs> He's scared it's gonna happen again. <laughs> Just the the mental impact that Copperfield has on the match. Uh. Because everybody knows Copperfield's a mentality monster. Like he just is. Yeah, that's his. He's got he's he's got high Q. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Lots lots of lots of fun. And like we said, maybe maybe the podcast was the friends we made along the way, John. You here. keep saying it. <laughs> <laughs> we get it. <laughs> uh, like, it's I, like I the fifth that. time. I love that line. <laughs> um, Jack, thanks so much for uh, revisiting one of our favorites, uh, John. You know, all three of us here. And Jack, I think we like we have a special connection to this movie just because it is definitely one of like the cult favorites within our friend group. Oh yeah, and the rewatchability, especially uh, me personally, like when I'm really drunk, this is the only thing I want to watch. <laughs> we all have we all have that thing, and it and I mean it certainly does help that it's only forty minutes long. Yeah. It's crushable, exactly. hilarious, rewatchable. Feels like a movie, but isn't that long? Like it's just it checks all the boxes. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, it's, it's, I love it. It's well, perfect. We're all just looking for that one thing we try to watch when we're really drunk at home, trying to get to bed. You know, are yeah. we all just looking for yeah. that? Aren't we just all looking for that? Yeah. I remember uh, one of the, a weekend in uh, New York. I came home at like two thirty, uh, and I was like sitting on the couch, drunk, and I was just like, "Let's put on like." I, I think I put on "Oh Hello," and like I was, I was, I was watching, I was watching it, and I pass out on my couch. My roommate Jared comes home like an hour later, sees me on the couch watching it. Rather than like turn it off and wake me up, he's like, ah, "I'm sure he'll figure it out." <laughs> Leaves me on the couch. Well, yeah, I mean, I mean, he lets you lets you be. I mean, I I know that I had multiple times. Wait, I, is that is that the one with too much tuna? Yes, yeah, too much tuna. Oh hello. <laughs> then we prank that mofo with too much tuna. <laughs> There's too much tuna in my tuna teeny, but, but my, my martuna needs more tuna. Yeah. And we laughed. Have they done multiple of those? So, okay, so we're kind of, John and I are oh hello experts. Resident so, experts. <clears throat> so it started out as a bit on the Kroll show. Um, and then after it kind of got steam, Mulaney and Kroll did it on Broadway. Uh, after and then after they did it on Broadway, they did a couple of 
listeners, I highly suggest uh, watching their videos of getting interviewed by John Oliver at 92Y. <laughs> 92Y is like, it's just like a theater essentially in uh, in New York City. Uh, and they did a couple of interviews. They did one with uh, John Oliver and one with Willie Geist. Uh, and it is one of the best improv comedy like hour and a half you will ever see in your life it is hilarious and now quick plug for them also um they are releasing a podcast during this uh during the quarantine you're stepping on our goddamn turf you yeah know? stepping on our turf we were the <laughs> they, they followed our lead i mean you know who's also making a podcast from quarantine who Don't zach braff donald azon no yeah i Faison. know donald Faison. Faison with Faison. an f right no, I'm sorry. I don't. I don't. I don't mean to get you to lose steam there. Right. I know you just got hot. Yeah, it's Faison. Yeah, Donald Faison. His they, Instagram handle is Azon or something like that. That's Donald right. Azon. They're starting a podcast. They the are, two leads from Scrubs. Doing, they're doing a rewatch of Scrubs, oh. and so like I have to watch it. Everyone listen to it. Yeah, listen to it, but also watch Scrubs while I listen to this podcast. Everyone is stepping on our toes. Yeah, they all they they they, they heard the good idea and they came around. It's cutthroat. We might have to give an ultimatum to Spotify. Either you drop. Every other podcast, or we walk. And as lifelong fans of Scrubs and Oh Hello, you know, I mean, day one fans, I would say. Day ones. For both of those, I, I would say, you know, I, I would expect a little respect out of those four. Just a know? little bit of respect. As day one, I'm sorry, as a day one Mulaney lifer, I can remember Jack and me in seventh grade listening to the Salt and Pepper Diner and thinking it was the funniest thing ever. Oh, Salt and Pepper Diner. Shout out to the Salt and Pepper Diner. Shout out, shout out to Chicago. <laughs> Chicago, you know, oh, Mr. McNamara. Something I completely forgot about when we didn't talk is what sets off Charles before what? they kill each other. What? The pussy eating sign. Oh yeah. <laughs> the subtle the subtle, but he, he clearly intended to do it. Another great deadpan Will Forte. Yeah, it was very clearly a subtly telegraphed pussy eating symbol. Yeah, and then you have Serena Williams yeah. also going in on it too, like knowing yeah, my brother it was probably intentional. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh wow! That, that's a major, major twist in the movie. Major miss on our part, but isn't that isn't that right there the best encapsulation of the movie? Forty minutes already, like a virgin on two hour podcast, and we still haven't hit it all. And that's wow. just like that's just the definition. We're missing stuff. You know? That's we're missing stuff, and I think that goes out to Sandberg. I think that goes out to everyone who worked on this project. This goes out to the great performances, like to quote to quote uh, Will Ferrell's character and the other guys, the pageantry, the showmanship. Wow, what a performance. Also, I just want to point out, Donald Faison's Instagram handle is Donald underscore Azon. So my, I, I do not want people to misconstrue this for me, like not, not being like, a lifelong Scrubs fan. That's not true. I've seen it all. Even the freaking like pre-med Scrubs I watched. So, you know. Yeah, yeah Dave but, Franco. Fortnite dance guy? Yeah, he's Fortnite dance guy. Yeah. I, I just made him, I just really just... Boiled him down into Fortnite dance guy. Oh, I, I apologize. That's, that I mean, is tragic. I mean, <laughs> that's <laughs> Scrubs, Clueless, Remember the Titans, you name it, he's been in it. I forgot about Clueless. Now he's just the Fortnite dance. <laughs> Unfortunately. He, his dance was stolen. It's the original Fortnite dance, too. Yep. Yeah, yeah. The default dance. It's not, not a special one. There's mm -hmm. no royalties. You don't have to spend any V-Bucks to get it. <laughs> <laughs> But if Fortnite wants to send us V-Bucks, you know. Exactly. We'll take it. We are not above uh, shouting out Fortnite on the podcast. Yeah. You know. Just like my beautiful Brooklyn and Sheets. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Jack, thanks again so much. Uh, we could talk about this for hours, and I'm glad we got this into a mildly listenable two-hour, uh, hour-and-a-half format. Uh, great talking to you on the pod, Jack. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, thank you guys for having me. Uh, I'm happy that we could touch on one of my favorite pieces of media as well, uh, Seven Days in Hell, on the seventh episode. Exactly. It was, it was meant to be, just like... Uh, Charles and Aaron battling each other to the death. It was meant to be. John, thanks as always. Oh, it's, oh you, you know where I am. I, I do know where I, you I are. I don't really move much. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is very true. I, I can't attest to it. Well, for Jack and John, this is Will signing off. Are you reeling in the yeast? Stowing away the time? Are you gathering at the teas? Have you had enough of mine? Are you reeling in the years? Stowing away the time. Are you gathering up the tears? Have you had enough of mine? You've been telling me you're a genius since you were 17. And all the time I've known you, I still don't know what you mean.